Hello, and welcome to this episode of Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. I'm your host, D.P. Lyle. Today, I want to talk about putting humor in your crime fiction. Is there a place for it? If so, how do you do it? What are some examples of how this works or doesn't work? Now, crime fiction invariably deals with dark and serious matters. I mean, there's crimes involved. Uh, dead bodies will do that to you. Uh, a lot of crimes are, 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 are the centerpiece of these, of these tales, whether they're mysteries or cozies or thrillers or whatever, anything in the crime fiction world. And, you know, they can be embezzlement and they can be heist and they can be bank robberies and there can be, you know, scams. They can be all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, by far the most common is murder. And the reason is it's so final. And the finality of it makes it the most heinous crime, and therefore the stakes are higher, and therefore there's more suspense and more danger in the story, you know, if the body count rises. So the villain is often nasty and deadly because he kills people well, uh, and only rarely likable, though we may be intrigued by him, and we as readers may love following his antics, he's usually not all that likable. Um... And the story usually ends up as a mano a mano joust, joust between good and evil, that is, the protagonist and the antagonist. So if you've got all this angst and this crime and these murders and this body count and all this, how on earth can this be funny? Well, actually it can be, and, and it is surprising how often it appears in mysteries and thrillers that even little one-offs and little little statements and little looks and little actions and little things. Obviously, there's some people that write humor a lot. You know, my Jake Longley series is very humorous. You, you, you read people, you know, like Paul Levin and Tim Mullaney and um, Carl Hyacin. You know, they're just filled with humor. They're very funny stories, and yet there's crimes involved. But even in your standard crime fiction, there are little moments that allows the reader a little smile and a little decompression and a little, huh, okay. Uh, so what does humor do if you add it to your dark and dirty story? Well, it, it, it deepens the characters. It makes the characters more real because people laugh a lot. And if you watch people talking at bars and restaurants or, or at parties, somebody's always telling an anecdote. People are always laughing and all this. It's not, it's not a, a dour discussion. People are having fun. And, and in real life, people do that. They joke around the office. You know, I mean, the dark humor inside hospitals is, is scary sometimes. But it's real and it's there. And so what it does is it not only deepens the character and makes them more realistic and more likable because people like to laugh. It also breaks the tension. A lot of these stories are, have constant tension, especially high-paced thrillers. Tension after tension after tension, one thing after another. Things move at breakneck, breakneck speed. And people need a little moment to decompress and say, whoa, that's funny. And then it adds some fun to the story. Humor does that. Humor makes stories more interesting. And it, it drags the reader in, and it, it makes them, you know, like I said, gives them a little chuckle. But you can't just simply toss in a joke, uh, especially one that doesn't even seem to fit, because it's just a joke. 
and a joke is a joke. You know, it's a three-act play in and of itself. Most jokes have three parts, uh, just like stories. Um, but it's freestanding, and it doesn't it doesn't fit. And so you be careful about that. But you can still weave the humor into the fabric of the story. And that's what we're going to talk about. How do you do that? And I'm going to give you some examples of how you do that. And it has to be part and parcel of the story. It has to be part of the character. It has to be part of the character interactions. It, it can't be a distraction. It has to be real. So how do you do that? Well, the sad truth is I've been asked this question. If you're not a funny person, can you write humor? Sadly, the answer is probably no. Uh, if you try to, then it sounds forced because, well, you're not funny. Okay, now everybody thinks they're funny at some time or another, and it often gets them in trouble. Lord knows my old grammar school was that way. I thought I was hysterical. The teacher thought otherwise. That's why I spent so much time in the principal's office. But the point is, is you have to have a quirky take on life. You have to look at things uh, differently. You have to see humor in everything. And the more you do that, the better equipped you are to, to add humor to your fiction. But it still doesn't mean you can't do it. It just, you have to work at it a little bit more. So what are some of the ways you can do that? Well, you can create funny characters. You know, there's a, the, the, the world is full of funny characters and, and they're out there and you, you've created, um, Characters that are humorous in your writings, I'm sure. And so you can create characters that are just basically funny. They have quirks. They have a method of speaking. They have a method of acting. Maybe a method of dressing. You know, um, I remember Ignatius and Confederacy of Dunces. You laugh out loud at this clown. Uh, but and, 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 and fiction is, is filled with these kinds of people. So, uh, so you see it. You know, a very important point is that comedy is situational. Now, I grew up in the 50s, and I grew up on, on the original sitcoms, if you will, back in the golden age of television. And this was Lucy, probably the greatest comedian that ever lived on the face of the earth. She had it all. She had the physical comedy. She had the timing. She had the facial expressions. She had everything to, to make a comedian. She was the best. But there was also, you know, Gleason and Red Skelton and Jack Benny and all of these guys and girls. And what they did is they, is they created comedy, Burns and Allen. They created comedy out of the situation in front of them. I mean, I can still see Ralph and Alice Crampton going at it in their kitchen. Alice always won. And Ralph always had some scheme. And the humor of their interaction came from the situation that they were in. Ralph had this big idea, and Alice shot it down. And sure enough, when, when Ralph decided, well, I'm going to try it anyway, it blew up in his face. Now, one of the other things you can do is you can add funny and quirky side characters. Now, I love minor characters and stories. I think they're some of the best writing and some of the most fun in reading that you can do because side characters aren't carrying the weight of the plot. They aren't the one with the goal and the fears and the wants and the needs and, and all that stuff like the protagonist does. They can be standing at the side, so to speak, and watching what's going on, even though they're involved in what's going on. So you can make them pretty goofy, and that can be fun. 
you can have a humorous narrative voice. And again, it comes back to what I said. Do you have to be funny to write humor? Again, you have to look at the world a little differently. But even the narrative voice, the, 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 the parts of the story that aren't the action and the dialogue and the interaction of the characters where the author steps in and gives information, this can be done in a funny way. This can be done with a humorous slant. So look at that in your writing and say, can I do that? Like comedy, like stand-up comedy, timing is everything. The timing and rhythm of comedy is everything. And so if you're doing this, the way the dialogue works, the, the way the actions work, the way the interactions work, sometimes you need an extra beat, sometimes you need to remove a beat, but it's the timing. Can I teach you that? Nope. But you can learn it by reading. Read, 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 read. Every writer should read a lot. Read stuff that has humor in it and look at how the timing of the call and response, if you will, the timing of the dialogue and the action and the interactions go and look at that. And then don't forget about dark and gallows humor. You have to be careful with this. I know as a physician, um, you know, you get a couple of medical people around a dinner table with uh, outsiders, as, as you say, with the common folk, uh, and you start telling emergency room stories, and they look at you in this horrified manner like, what is wrong with you? That's not funny. Well, actually, it is funny. It's hysterical, but you had to be there. Now, cops do the same thing. You know, co cops have that, that gallows humor. But you can use it, but be careful with it. Now, look at, let's look at some examples of how these things work, that you either create funny characters or you have a funny situation or you have a narrative voice or you have a side character that's funny um, and how the timing and rhythm works. One of the, the most exciting thriller series ever made into movies was obviously the James Bond series. And I think Sean Connery still is James Bond. You know, you can argue about who the others were. They're Johnny Come Latelys, as far as I'm concerned. And Bond and 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 Connery had this gift of delivering the line with the perfect with the perfect accent, with the perfect timing. If an example was from Russia with Love after he shot Rosa Klebb. Remember, she had the the blade in the toe of her shoe and was trying to stab him with some exotic poison and he shot her and he said she's had her kicks i mean that moment of levity at at the toward the end of that extremely extremely tense scene just kind of went oh you could let your breath out same way with goldfinger Remember Odd Job with a hat that could cut your head off, and and they're in this place, and he uh, fires Odd Job's hat into the into the grating, into the the, the cells, the the walls, and he reaches to get it, and he sticks the electrical cord there, and electrocutes him. And his response was, he blew a fuse. And then in Thunderball, he shot the, a killer, uh, one of the henchmen, with a spear gun, and his response was, I think he got the point. And the point is <laughs> that when you add these little quips like this and you add humor, it relieves the tension. It lets the, the, the viewer or the reader know, oh, I can take a breath now. You know, this is finally over with. Well, it may not be over with, but at least for a moment. In Judgment Day, uh, the Terminator 2 and the severely damaged uh, Terminator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
Uh, he's been in a knockout dragout, remember, with the liquid metal man who was an advanced Terminator. And he finally melted the guy down and he looked up and said, I need a vacation. I mean, a great moment of humor in that. And Fletch, a man in a black suit said, we're CIA. And Fletch asked, how do you spell that? I mean, don't you love that? And the point is, is that this was more humorous, but it was a mystery thriller type story. In 52 Pickup by the great Elmore Leonard, as only Leonard can write, there's a group of thieves that has hijacked a tour bus. I mean, go figure. You know, Elmore's characters did all kinds of goofy stuff. So they decide to drive the tourists around town and show them their, their favorite parts of Detroit. Of course they would. So they pass a row of derelict buildings, and one of them says, historic remains of the, of the riot we had a few years ago. I mean, that's hysterical. Now, this guy didn't think so. He was just making an, a point, but it, it is hysterical. And Raymond Chandler was one of the, the great humorists in, in the noir uh, era of, of, of crime fiction. He had these quirky takes. Uh, he, just the way they did things and the way he said things, the way he worded things, the way Marlowe did things, the way, the way everybody did things in these stories were just fantastic. And it says, this is from The Big Sleep, which he wrote in 1939. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning, mid-October, with the sun not shining and a look of hard, wet rain in the clearness of the foothills. I was wearing my powder blue suit with a dark blue shirt, tie, and a display handkerchief, black brogues, black wool socks with dark blue sock with dark blue clocks on them. I was neat, clean, shaved, and sober, and I didn't care who knew it. I was everything the well-dressed private detective ought to be. I was calling on four million dollars. Wow. I mean. You know, this story's rolling along, and he throws in a line like that. I was calling on $4 million. You get the picture. You see it. You feel it. And that little moment of humor is uh, it makes, the, makes that scene. Makes that scene. Otherwise, it's a lot of description, and it's a lot of stuff that was pretty cool in itself. I like the fact that he said, and I, did, I didn't care who knew it. That's where the humor starts. I mentioned Paul Levin earlier. He's, he's one of the great comedic writers. And in, and in his book, Bum Deal, he wrote this. When my cell phone rang, I figured someone was dead. Nah, I don't have ESP. I have caller ID. State attorney Raymond Pensioner on the line. That can mean several things, many involving a corpse. Maybe a client of mine, out on bail, was a machine-gunning tourist in the Fountain Blue lobby. That was one of my recurring nightmares. <laughs> so we're getting ready to launch into this murder mystery, and uh, he's getting ready to be hauled into it. And and so he, this thought of a tourist machine gunning, a, a guy machine gunning tourist, one of his clients pops into his head. Um, in my book, A List, Jake the Jake Longley is the second Jake Longley book. And he and Nicole have ended up down in New Orleans trying to solve uh, a murder. And Jake, uh, this is from Jake's point of view, of course. 
If I had been a believer, the gypsy woman would have spooked me. I mean, bones for Christ's sake. I still wondered if they were human. Surely not. But then again, this was the Big Easy, a place where voodoo and ghosts and a bunch of other crazy shit were commonplace. Ever walk through a New Orleans cemetery? There are a bunch of them, and each even spookier than the gypsy lady and all of her skeletal remains. If ghosts were real, these walled-off burial grounds would be a major hangout for them, late-night post-mortem dance clubs. And as opposed to being six feet under, I suspected all those above-ground crypts would be easier to escape from. Eerie even in the daylight, if you visited after sunset, you pretty much deserved whatever happened. I had done that exactly once. Once. Never again. I'm going to give you one more example, and we'll wrap this up. And this is from my book, Deep Six, which is the first Jake book. And there's a critical moment in the story where Jake has to jump off a 100-foot yacht into the middle of the Gulf of Mexico at night. It's a convoluted story, and he's got to do this to save his life. And so it goes kind of like this. The swells had increased to the point that even a ship the size of the Sea Witch rose and fell and wobbled its gyrations now to our benefit. Not that it would make swimming any easier, but it would make hitting us with handguns fired from the deck nearly impossible. That was the hope, anyway. I briefly wondered if Zuma and Boyd spent much time at the firing range. Then there's a little break in. Then I was gone. The leap was perfect, over the stern railing, far out over the water and beyond the props that sliced and diced the gulf into a churning wake. I immediately curled into a knot, my arms yanking my knees as tightly against my chest as possible. Perfect in every way. As I seemed to hover in midair, I realized the first of my miscalculations, the drop, seemed to take forever. For some odd reason, I flashed on a physics class I took during college. Why I had signed up for it remains a mystery, but I think I thought it would be interesting, even fun. It was neither. It was hard. I didn't grasp most of it, and, shock of all shocks, I didn't do well. What I did remember, right now as I plummeted toward the water, was that some egghead had worked out a formula for the acceleration of falling bodies. The falling body in question here was me. I didn't remember the formula on the final exam, and damn sure didn't recall it here, but I did remember that crazy speeds were achieved very quickly. The result was that I hit the water hard. It felt like concrete. My breath escaped in a harsh whoosh, and then I was underwater, lungs empty, nose filled with seawater. That's when Mr. Panic introduced himself. So this is, a, this is a very tense scene. The whole thing, uh, Jake and Nicole, and Nicole's already gone over the railing, and, and Jake is following her, and they're trying to escape getting killed by the bad guys, and they're in the middle of nowhere. You know, where do you go? You're, you're in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico on the, the bad guy's yacht. So you do what you can. You hit the water and pray. And lastly, one more. This is from my book, uh, another Jake Longley book. And I mentioned about adding quirky side characters. In this case, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a recurring trope in this whole series is uh, Jake's ex-wife, Tammy, who he divorced and she married her attorney, Walter, 
the one who handled the divorce and she lives in, in, in Walter's big massive house and uh, uh, Tammy still harasses Jake all the time and it's a, it's a recurring it's a recurring theme in these stories. My cell buzzed. The ID read Tammy, my ex. I don't know why, but she called me at least once a week with some problem she thinks I can solve or even cared about, but always with another stack of complaints about my behavior while we still shared matrimonial bliss, which was years ago. She was now Walter Horton's problem, yet she continued to wage psychological warfare against me, or so it seemed. I angled my phone toward Nicole. Oh, this should be fun. Put it on speaker. I don't want to miss anything. Of course she didn't. Not that she and Tammy were friendly, not even close. Cordial wouldn't work either. A common rift between exes and current girlfriends. For Nicole, these, episode, these episodic calls from Tammy supplied facts, real or imagined, that Nicole could use to give me grief. I was sure it was some sort of feminine conspiracy, one that, that even enemies shared, some kind of double X chromosome connection us guys weren't privy to. Me? Paranoid? It's not paranoia if they're actually shooting at you. I briefly considered ignoring the call, but that never worked with Tammy. She'd keep hammering until I relented. A war of attrition. Better to get whatever today's issue was over with. I answered, activating the speaker function. Didn't get a word out. Not even hello. Jake, what the hell are you doing? Trying to decide why I answered your call. What's that noise? Are you driving? No, Nicole is. She hasn't put you on the road yet? We are on the road, I said. So you dragged her into this business? What business? I could hear an exasperated sigh hiss through the phone. Mission accomplished. You know very well what I'm talking about. Walter hired Ray, and now he's got you involved. I'm simply a passenger. I don't work for Ray. Yet you always seem to land right in the middle of everything. And that pretty much sums up the relationship between Jake and his ex, but it also sums up Jake. Jake does not want to get involved. Jake is a slacker. Jake just wants to run his bar or restaurant on the beach, prop his feet up, have a little whiskey, have a beer, uh, talk to Pancake, hang out with Nicole, and do absolutely nothing, and yet he always seems to land right in the middle of everything. And that's the whole premise of the Jake Longley series. Jake is a reluctant PI. He gets drugged into stuff. And that obviously opens the doors for a lot of humor. And there's other characters, Pancake's hysterical. Nicole has her moments. There's a lot of side characters that come in that are funny. So back to the original thing. How do you put humor in crime fiction? With it being dark and down and dirty and all that, is it important to do that? To me, yes. When I read a book and there's no humor involved, then it's a, it's okay. It's a good story. Uh, but if you throw in just a little nugget of something humorous, it can be two or three times during the book. And I think it changes the whole tone of the story. I think it makes it more approachable. I think it makes it more lifelike I, because people, as I said, people like to laugh. And I think even in the darkest of times, a little bit of humor makes a big difference in storytelling. 
and of course it breaks the tension and it, it it makes the characters better it deepens them they become more human and when you add a quirky side character to it it makes the story more fun and you can do it by all of those things by creating funny characters by creating funny situations by adding quirky characters by using a humorous narrative voice but always pay attention to the time and rhythm of everything that you do work on that dialogue work on the comebacks and work on the comeback to the comeback and and have it a little jousting match and and insert a little humor into your fiction i think it'll not only help your story it will make it more more marketable, but it also makes it more fun, and it makes the writing more fun. So enjoy it. So I hope this has helped some, and I hope it created a few insights for you. So this has been D.P. Lyle, and this is Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. Until next time.